Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 22, Religion, Values and Ethics, with Paula Weber. Welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. We have a new guest with us today, Paula Weber. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, both. It's lovely to be here. Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you. Now, Paula um, is an esteemed colleague on the Cardiff Partnership uh, PGC Secondary Programme. In fact, you teach on a number of programmes. I'll ask you about that in a moment, Paula. But um, you work closely with us as programme leader for PGC Secondary Religious Education. Um, And you've really not been with us for that long. But we're here today um, to talk to you about something that I believe, you know, you've you've been quite deeply involved with, uh, certainly with regards to the Welsh curriculum. We're going to be talking about a religious religion, values and ethics. But before we do, perhaps you could just tell us a bit about your background and your journey here to us at Cardiff Met. Yes, certainly. Yes, I, I was um, head of RE in a couple of schools in Blaine Gwent and also PSE, careers, a number of other things that I I also headed up. And then I, I left secondary schools and went to work in further ed in College Gwent for a number of years. And then I had the opportunity to, to take up some work with um, standing advisory councils for religious education, working with local authorities. So I became a um, independent consultant, um, pr- uh, providing professional advice to those. I'm working in the EAS region and Central South um, region as well. And then EAS um, offered me a full-time job, so I went to work for them as the um, RE advisor. Also continuing the work with the, the SACRES in the local authorities. And then I, I applied for a part-time job at Cardiff Met, yeah, while I was at um, the, the EAS, I had the fantastic opportunity of working with the pioneers right in the humanities, um, AOLE, and I was vice chair of the group of pioneers um, right in that. And I worked on other aspects of the curriculum as well, you know, it, you know, in parts of those groups like the assessment framework and things like that. So it was um, it was an amazing opportunity, the best um uh, professional learning I've ever had so uh, so that was brilliant so I, I think it's great now that I can bring all of that back to Cardiff Met to work with um, you know with the student teachers and, and set them off uh, in the in the profession yeah it's really really good to be able to do that. And you've certainly had an impact on our professional learning as a team as well, drawing upon your knowledge and expertise um, with regard to the curriculum for Wales. But we've got no shame in telling our listeners that what we're about to talk about today started out um, as a conversation over probably a half pint, maybe, on a <laughs> yeah. bit after a busy Friday. Tom, was that how it went down? <laughs> it was, but mine wasn't a half. <laughs> So we're going to channel our inner Friday afternoon with a half pint or a full pint in your case in hand. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of insight into why we're at a bit of a crucial moment in time with regard to uh, religious education in Wales and why we're moving to a focus on religion, values and ethics. Yeah, it's a really, really exciting time for, well, in the transition between RE and and religion, values and ethics. So we've got a brand new name for the subject. Um, That went out to public consultation and um, 
was was decided on by Welsh government really internationally actually is a very interesting time for for RE because there's a lot of change going on you know in Wales in, in England and internationally so we're sort of trying to navigate all of that at the moment and it's and it's about you know how we think about our subject there are things going on like decolonization and things like that that are they're really really interesting we're also being very influenced by human rights laws around religion and belief um, and whether or not we we ought to be looking at um, non-religious philosophical convictions in RE and things like that. So it's, it's a huge time of transition. And I think, you know, the changes that the new curriculum are bringing for all subjects are, are massive. But I think for RVE in particular, I think it's probably been more changes than any of the other subjects because we've got the legislation that surrounds it and everything else that's going on internationally, um, which is huge in itself. Um, so, yeah, it's all very exciting. But also, I imagine for teachers in the classroom, quite daunting. And, you know, they're going to need a lot of help and support to navigate certainly some of the legislative changes, which are are huge um, at the moment. So I was noting that as you were saying it, you know, RE back when I was a teacher, that was always relatively small department. And actually, if I'm unless I'm very much mistaken, quite a few of the pupils were able to opt out of bits of it or all of it. So you're expanding your sphere of influence to include an awful lot of other stuff and a lot of really quite naughty stuff as well. I suppose you're hoovering at PSE and in, in amongst that as well, are you? And, and um, loads of other well, things. Well, that's a little bit controversial, actually, Tom, because you know I note, you know, noticed like in in our conversations in in university recently, we've been talking about the idea of cherished ideas and things like that. So how do we navigate? this change and retain all of our cherished ideas within within the subject and you know also should some of those ideas that have been quite cherished be remain anyway so so that's quite controversial I mean, I've always been of the opinion that RE should have a, quite a big place in in school life and and in um, involving, you know, sort of feeding into the ethos of the school and that type of thing as well. But at the same time, it's an academic discipline, so the, there's that balance. Um, but but I think what we really need to do is to navigate it in a way where we are retaining its its uniqueness as a subject but it doesn't become citizenship. That's really, really important. And, I, you know, something that, you know, I've been thinking about recently is it's got a massive role to play in the, the rollout, I think, of the Charlotte Williams report and the, um, you know, the, the agenda of, of Welsh Government to become an anti-racist Wales by 2030. But we need to do that in a way that is is also retaining the cherished ideas of, of our subject area. Yeah, I was thinking as you were saying that, and this is a bit similar to health and well-being, I suppose, where PE has sort of ended up in health and well-being, but you can't just deliver well health and well-being with PE specialists. I was just trying to think, you know, what kind of backgrounds are your people going to have in your in your area but I suppose the answer is you can't just populate that with one type of teacher anymore it's bigger than a subject it is bigger than a subject um, and and you know I don't know if there's a type of RE teacher anyway I mean certainly there are, you know you would expect people to have a passion for that subject but 
the the type of teacher that we want are are, are those that are going to be objective critical and taking a pluralistic point of view because that's one of the legislative changes it 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 actually isn't a change it has been european law for a number of years but welsh government have now put that into legislation in in wales so we should have had that so i think head teachers need to be really careful who they are selecting as the rve teachers it used to be uh, years ago they'd say oh you taught a bit of sunday school or whatever you can teach the rre and actually that's going to be quite a dangerous approach on behalf of head teachers if they're not having someone who is specifically trained in this subject because they could land up in court um, because it's not being objective and critical and pluralistic. Um, and I think head teachers need to be aware of that and to avoid that situation. So if I, if you know, I am a bit biased, but if I was a head teacher and I could have one humanities teacher, I'd be making sure it was someone who knew how to deliver the the RVE for for those kind of wider reasons um, as well. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's sort of one of the main things really and it's quite difficult for people for teachers coming from a range of different backgrounds to have that objectivity in their teaching and it is something that they they definitely need to learn and it's something we need to look at um from a professional learning point of view for all staff having any anything to do with delivering rve in wales and i know that um welsh government are funding professional learning specifically for rve that's being currently written at the moment so there is help available for teachers there's also help available from the local standing advisory councils as they now will be called in terms of you know if people are struggling with how to do that all of the standing advisory councils um, have professional support and advisors that can help in a variety of capacities and there's also um, the Wales Association of Sacres which will need to change its name <laughs> because it's not RE anymore. And, you know, there's there's a lot of support for, and there always has been for teachers of RE um, that perhaps aren't available for teachers in other subject areas. So as a, uh, as a lay person in all of this, and obviously having had uh, an RE, uh, a Catholic school RE, learning experience myself I hadn't quite realized quite how complex it was as a subject discipline and complex to the degree that I would anticipate that parents and carers have got more to say and perhaps more bones of contention with this subject than I would expect any to have with my subject which is drama and theatre so just going back to um, the point that you made about the legislation is changing now. So what things in there would our listeners be sort of interested in knowing about? And how do you foresee that impacting, you know, teachers? How are they going to feel about it? Parents and carers, how are they going to feel about it? What's that going to look like? You would expect it to be more controversial um, in the past, but it wasn't actually because we had the right to withdraw from religious education. Some parents choose, chose to um, withdraw their, their, their children from the teaching of the subject and the school would have to provide alternatives for them. However, now Welsh Government has said that every learner in Wales 
has to have an entitlement to RV and it's and it's actually an equalities issue for them to be doing that and, and that was was supported by the vast majority of um, people in what we call the RE world or the RE community but it is going to be controversial because some parents wouldn't want them to learn um, some things you know if I think about Waska did a survey about the reasons that people pupils were withdrawn and some of them were bordering on prejudicial reasons and you know they didn't even have to give a reason but where those reasons were given it would be oh we don't want our our learners going to a mosque or we don't want them going to a church or those kind of things and they could they could happily withdraw their children but now of course they can't so how do we navigate the situations that parents wouldn't have been happy with before and if you think about it I suppose Welsh government's point of view is that you know we we are trying to develop critical thinkers and really fully informed citizens and and if you think of the four purposes and that's one of the reasons that they've they've changed the legislation but I suspect that there may be more controversy to come than, than we've actually had in the past um, and perhaps more challenges. And I think, again, to reiterate, the really important thing is that teachers are objective in their teaching. And I think we do, we do need to have lots of conversations nationally amongst the advisors on, on how we navigate these things. It's really interesting being an RE advisor to local authorities because all the time you were rang, you were rang up and, oh, we've got this situation to deal with, um, this parent is concerned about this, how do I deal with it? Um, and in the past, you could say, well, they have the right to withdraw, but now they haven't, so how do we navigate that with the balance of being, I don't know, respectful, I suppose, to parents, but... Um, at the same time allowing learners to receive their full entitlement to the subject. It's kind of interesting that, isn't it? I mean, with the greatest of respect to some of those parents, you're kind of <laughs> suggesting that the very ones that were withdrawing, that the ones who could have uh, benefited from a bit um, of religious mind broadening. Uh, that is absolutely <coughs> right. And, and uh, you know, hence the, the actual decision. But, um, you know, it, this this also... You know, in, on a European level, if, if not internationally, you know, most countries have got the right to withdraw from religious education. But I think that's because the religious education in other countries is often denominational. Um, and so we need to be very, very careful that RVE, you know, again, follows the new guidance. And we've worked very closely with Catholic Education Service and the Church in Wales, and they're developing their own RV syllabi, for want of a better word, you know, and, and um, uh, in, in order to deliver RV. I know the Church in Wales are, are then doing what they would call like additionality, and they do it in England as well. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how the, ad, uh, the Catholic Education Service are, are going to tackle this yet because their guidance is, is due out in draft shortly, so I haven't seen that. But um, I know the Church in Wales, you know, are, are encouraging RVE in the way that, the, you know, the agreed syllabus will be delivered. So just to explore a potential knotty thing here, and okay. maybe you haven't got an answer to this, Paul, or I don't know, but 
We're talking now about being quite close to implementing curriculum for Wales. We've talked loads about the fact that there's this principle of subsidiarity, that schools are curriculum designers. Now they design their own locally relevant version of the curriculum and all of that stuff. Lucy Crean spoke to us the other day about the risks involved in not getting that right. And as far as she saw it, the risks were mainly around curriculum coherence and equity, which is a pretty compelling reason to be a bit careful. But you're also saying that in your particular neck of the woods, there's an additional risk of potentially breaking the law. (laughs) Absolutely. So what's the lie of the land here in terms of the support being given to schools? Do they have less subsidiarity? Do they have more guidance or are they about to walk into a world of trouble? I don't think they're about to work into walk into a world of trouble if they if they're employing experts in the subject, um, and I, I can't reiterate that any more <laughs> than than I have. I think um, again, like I said, they've got the advisory services there. Potentially, if they are not delivering it properly, and and you know, they they could be walking into trouble. And I think head teachers need to be aware aware of that I don't I, I feel as if I'm going down a real negative because I really think there are there are loads of positive things about th- this change you know I think subsidiarity still remains if you if you're looking at you know what topics are you going to choose from the key, from the key concepts that are in the agreed syllabus and things like that then then that's um it still remains the same as as for other um other subjects but I think we need to to be thinking carefully about how the how we are delivering RV I think I was with my students the other the other day actually and um, I got them to do a task um, and they they were organizing or, or planning then a visits to places of of significance because um some could be religious or again non-religious now and then there was this controversial i thought controversial question that popped up in one of the things about should should um, a mosque be built in in a local village which will remain nameless now (laughs) but uh we we had a whole conversation then about the appropriateness of that particular question um, and so I do think that teachers of RE need to be thinking about how they word questions. There was always this, um, uh, you know, let's play devil's advocate in our RE sort of thing and ask controversial questions. But I honestly think we need to be very careful with what we're doing there now because that, that's an inappropriate controversial question so uh, you know and again that was that was student teachers and we were able to discuss it and and that's why training is needed um i think so the point that you made about the how being important and and something that you said earlier on as well about needing to adopt an objective stance as a teacher of RVE is something actually that I think a lot, you, you also talked about decolonising the curriculum and there's 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 an equal sort of resonance there for other teachers to start thinking, well, am I being objective about my choices of content and delivery and, and pedagogies? And so you are probably still in the process of interviewing for your programme. What kind of dispositions, qualities, what kind of person are you looking for that is going to be able to, you know, adopt that objective stance and yeah. to be very critical about their pedagogy? It, it is something I always address in interview because if they are not able to make that shift into into that objective viewpoint, then are they the right 
teacher for, for RVE. So, some of them will come on a little bit of a journey with me, but I, I need to be able to see that they, they've got that capacity to be able to do that because what we really don't want are teachers that are going to go in to proselytise in the classroom. That's the biggest thing, isn't it? Um, and you, you'd be quite surprised about how many people might have that as an ag- a hidden agenda, perhaps. You know, that's something you need to take into account if you were having visitors, visitors to the schools and things like that. You know, there needs to be training for visitors to schools and they need to know that that is not um, the place to proselytise and that type of thing. And I've had experiences, not recent experiences, but, you know, a couple of decades ago where, you know, I've had to halt a lesson in my classroom because that kind of proselytising was was taking place or that false information and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, it really is something that, that we need to to be particularly careful of in, in RV. And I suppose there's this notion, isn't there? I know it's a, a notion in journalism, the idea of due impartiality, because you're talking about um, all these other things coming in, you know, um, trying to create a, an anti-racist Wales and all of that kind of thing. And it's this concept that there are some things that you need to be impartial on because a reasonable person could advance the opposite side of the argument and it would be within the pale as it were and then there are other things where you wouldn't want to artificially try and provide some balance because it's not something that a reasonable person would argue on the other side of and I think that is also a bit of a moving picture sometimes isn't it as well I mean things like climate change for example have become pretty much accepted now I know for example the BBC gets in in trouble if they're seen to give too much weight to climate change denial whereas perhaps 30 years ago it might have been something you would you'd argue on both sides. That's a really tough one, isn't it? I think RV is always an evolving subject. Uh, same, same as others. They're always evolving, aren't they? But I think I think you're right. It is, I don't know if it's... Is impartiality the same as objectivity? Um, and these are the questions that we need to explore. And, you know, can you actually be fully objective? Is is that even possible? I think it's so important for teachers of RVE to know their own biases and to and to question themselves all of the time um, about whether or not they are being impartial or objective. The other thing is, though, that we we can't tolerate everything. And there was a time in RV where I think we've done, or RE, old RE, where we've done a bit of a disservice by seeing religion through rose-tinted spectacles and promoting it and not letting anybody say anything bad about anything that was to do with religion. Well, actually, there are aspects of religion which are harmful and not helpful, and we need to be honest and, and open about things like that as well. And people can use... I, I saw a... Um, an article written by Theos Think Tank, actually, about Putin and his views on religion and things like that. You know, it's really op- important to be open and honest and to have these these critical discussions about people's stances on religion. And I suppose the important thing there is that you, you look at whether or not it's beneficial to society or harmful to society and, and, and beliefs can be, can be both and it's important to realise that strikes me that in this world of sort of unpredictability that surrounds RVE, 
the sort of core concepts and uh, the, the almost the facts and the knowledge become really important for grounding, I would say, student teachers and, and teachers going forward and, and, and keeping on top of the, the facts and the legality is really important grounding to make sure that you don't end up sort of falling foul of, of some of these um, traps in, in the subject. Something that comes through in the guidance for the curriculum for Wales within the RVE sort of domain is the idea that core concepts are there and articulated, but also sub lenses. And I thought this was quite fascinating. So how, you know, how we how we view the concepts is fascinating. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So so this sort of came about, I think, after after I had moved on from from leading the the, the RVE group right in the silver so that was a few, some further development to it so I'm not I'm completely au fait with it but um, they see RVE as a lens through which we look at humanities and the, the issues that are within the the what matters statements but then that, that there are some sub lenses that are really important issues or cherished ideas I suppose within our discipline so they are things like identity and belonging in values and ethics, the journey of life, those kind of sub-lenses, and there's there's a small list list of those. And we can look at the what matters statements and and religion and and worldviews, spirituality, and through these different lenses. So I think the idea is that they're not seen in isolation to the what matters statements, but they are sort of like another layer down that might be helpful to teachers in the classroom when they not they not be looked at as topics or themes but they are a thread I suppose that run through the curriculum and also there are some learning exemplar learning journeys there that helps you to see how how those different lenses can be looked at in different progression steps so um, if you're looking at you know identity and belonging in early years for example they can be exploring you know who am I from a much simpler point of view than they would in in progression step five where you know you can come up with all sorts of of um philosophical views of who you know what it is to to be human and that kind of thing then you know so uh, I think they they are just um something that I think would probably have come in the agreed syllabus but every time we were writing for for you know the the framework and then they were saying oh that, that needs to be in the actual curriculum guidance so everything was shifted over but um yeah I think it, it, it will be helpful to to teach us to look at look at um those lenses and and how to unpack those those lenses but they are there alongside lots of other key concepts that are in in RVE. It strikes me as potentially being fruitful ground for cross-curricular approaches. You know, how I'm thinking about drama now, how can we view this character's response to this event in the text through from an ethical standpoint yeah. from a val- what are their values yeah. you know what philosophies underpin the way that they are yeah. behaving you know what does the context I, I think there's a lot of fruitful ground there something that struck me that perhaps people listening might not be aware of and it kind of chimes with the point that Tom made earlier on about sort of how we we navigate this this world was the fact that 
you've got an agreed syllabus conference who've got a unique sort of position within RVE to review, and I want to say every five years. Yes, every five years. Review the syllabus, Mm. even though we're not necessarily supposed to have a syllabus so how do you feel about that you know in the context of what we're trying to achieve in Wales and why why is why is that I I think we can probably guess but why is that deemed necessary? The agreed syllabus conference is something that was already in legislation and Professor Donaldson decided to keep the agreed syllabus and the local is that is is so that our RV has a local, is a local responsibility, it's not actually a national responsibility, even though it's been put into the national, you know, curriculum guidance now. So legally, it still sits with the local authority. So the local authority was meant to review their syllabus every five years. There is debate about, you know, what what's the difference between a curriculum and a syllabus, and it's not going to be prescriptive, and it's going to be, you know, it... Legally now, the Agreed Syllabus Conference has to have regard to the Curriculum for Wales guidance. So that's new legislation that's come in. I think it's it's really good that it's still there because it we need to keep RVE relevant and up to date. And, you know, it's good that we have the, the five-year review. How is it going? You know, are things working? Do things need to be changed? I think in the future when they have five five-year reviews, then that probably needs to be done in, you know, in collaboration with perhaps dialogue with Welsh Government at least. But every every local authority can write their own syllabus. But we were in a, week, a, a unique position in Wales previously because we had a national exemplar framework which was agreed by all 22 local authorities. So we already had something similar to the Curriculum for Wales in that we were all working from the same document and some local authorities um, adopted it as it stood, some adapted it and added some core sort of units in and that kind of thing. But in England, they have 150 odd, 158, I think, different separate agreed syllabuses. So they're all working in in a different way. So in Wales, we've always been collaborative in that way. So I suppose we had a, a bit of a springboard for, for this kind of, of work. It It isn't a syllabus as such, even though it's still called a syllabus in law. It won't be prescriptive. I imagine that local authorities will adopt or adapt again, um, whether they'll add anything local into it, because there might be some local things that they want, want to include that, that they do within their local authority. That, that could be... Um, something that would be additional to what's in the curriculum guidance. Yeah, and they may, may want to add some advice or that kind of thing. But um, all of the SACRAs, the Standing Advisory Councils, all of the local authorities have been involved in the writing of the RVE guidance for the Curriculum for Wales. So, so that collaboration and that local element has sort of come into the writing of the, the guidance that's already there. So we sort of did it in advance and then the, the agreed syllabus conferences will adopt or adapt. There is a danger that an agreed syllabus conference could go its own way, but that's been protected in law by having to have regard to the uh, the agreed syllabus, uh, the RVE guidance now in the, in the curriculum. So bringing it all the way back to the pupils in the yeah. classroom. It might be too soon to say, but from your professional and experienced position, what might a learner who has been through 
the full RVE curriculum versus a pupil who went through the old RE curriculum, what might their behaviours, dispositions, what, you know, what outcomes will they achieve that maybe surpass what we had before? Oh, I think... I wish I'd gone through this curriculum and my own education and I wish my children had. I think that it's, it's wrong to see humanity subjects in, not wrong, but it's, it's humanity subjects in silos are much less enriching than looking at them together. And even though you've got that subject discipline, and I think, you know, as, as I've explained earlier, I think it's really, really important to have that. Um, we can learn so much from the other humanities disciplines. So I think that that experience will be enriching. And then if you break down the, human, the humanities, what matters, statements. And the first one is about all about inquiry and how important that is. And that isn't just a research project. That's about, you know, your journey of life and your, and your curiosity about life and, um, and things like that. And I think a lot of what we did in RVE, I can sort of see it in those what matters statements. And we brought a lot of RE into that, which probably wouldn't have been in the rest of the curriculum had RE set separately, if, if you know, um, if, it, if it remained separate. So I think the contribution that RE will make to the humanities is going to be fantastic, but also the influence of those subjects on, on that. Um, so I think from a learner point of view, is going to be much more enriching, um, much more experiential, I hope. Less time labelling diagrams of a church and more time meeting people of faith and belief. Yeah, knowing that that um, religion and belief are lived experiences, they influence the whole of your life. So so I, I would hope that it's going to be much more engaging, much more enriching. And that looking at things from different perspectives, which is what matters too, interpretations and that type of thing, that interconnectedness that we have with the natural world, which is what matters three, and how we we react to the natural world, how we influence the natural world, and then looking at societies in um, what matters four, and then social action in what matters five. That's a new thing that I think perhaps our we had it before. But they think is is new in humanities. But we we talked about you know social action a lot in RE, so we bring that there. So I think you know for learners to go through that whole three to sixteen experience, hopefully it will be meaningful for them. It will it will help them to navigate you know the purposes of life, and it, it won't be dry, and it won't be it'll, it'll be something that they remember. Um, I, I hope. I mean, we talk a lot on the podcast about the importance of really getting to know other subject domains. You, know, you said that cherished ideas thing and every subject has its sort of stereotype version and then it's sort of richer reality. And I'm, I'm not even sure if there's a question here, but, you know, you, you mentioned these things like spirituality and belonging and identity. And I could sort of imagine somebody hearing those headlines and going, oh, gosh, that sounds lovely. That sounds really fluffy and nice. But then the stuff you're actually describing Sounds like you need your absolute razor-sharp first-class minds on the job. I'm going to yeah. be honest, I'm not sure I'd be up to it on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it, yeah, it isn't all fluffy. It, it, it can be quite controversial. You know, some of the topics that they they look at in RE at the moment for GCSE, for example, you know, life and death, euthanasia, abortion, capital punishment, things like that, that, that you know, they are already discussing in RE and not easy topics. When you're talking life and death, that's not easy. And it, it requires some good calibre teachers to be navigating things like that within within classrooms mm. and being obliged really as you said to open up the the potential for the fact that a religion may, might have a really harmful aspect mm. when you might have people in the room whose whole identity or a large part of their identity flows from that religion mm. how do you do that it, it is it is really difficult you know not so much with the religion being harmful because you do find that but perhaps less so, you know, in, in Wales, perhaps a little bit less than perhaps you, you would elsewhere. But I, I remember, for example, tackling issues of, of racism and things like that. And then children coming to me and crying and saying, my mum and my dad are racist. You know, so how how do you navigate things like that? You know, you, you have to have a lot of empathy a lot of sensitivity. You you have to be approachable. You have to be able to to talk. You have to be able to navigate your way through that. And it it is lots of individual little, so they you know they do get light bulb moments and realization moments and things like that. And it's about being able to sit and and talk and listen and with individual learners as well as with the uh, yeah. It's it's until you're in a situation, I suppose it's quite difficult to for me to you know, sort of say how I would handle it. But, you know, having done the job for you know a few decades, sometimes it is something that that um, you learn through experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it strikes me that, again, it comes back to, you know, being a community of practitioners working yes. together to navigate those more challenging instances mm-hmm. that we find ourselves sometimes in in the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, and remembering that sometimes we don't have to make those decisions unilaterally. No. We can we can work together yeah. to find. And a way like forward. I said, you were never on your own as an RE teacher because you know you've got we've got a national advisory panel. We've got you know we've got advisors in every local authority to help. Um, you've got you know heads of department who would be more experienced perhaps than an NQT, but it it is a job that you often come up against controversy in um, that you probably wouldn't as a maths teacher or something like that. <laughs> Well, I mean, hopefully we've done our best to convince you that training to be an RE teacher in Wales at this moment in time is a really good thing and not to be something to fear. But, you know, if people are unconvinced, Paula, you know, where can they go to find out more information? Where can they find you? You know, what what, what would you advise? Well, they can contact me at Cardiff Met for for a start. But I'm I'm also a chair of the National Advisory Panel for RE, so they would like to talk to me in that capacity um, and I'm also um, an executive officer on the Wales Association of Sacres. You can look up the WASCA um, website for contact details there and and contact the Secretary Alice Parry. Also you can get in touch with your local authority um, for your SACRE or your consortia 
um, for your advisors. So there are lots of places to go. It, it is a wonderful job. I feel as if I've done it a bit of a disservice now. It's, a, it's an absolutely wonderful job. I think you've definitely not done it a disservice. <laughs> I think you've uh, <laughs> shone a light on some interesting things happening down there at the sharp end in, in our land. So to get my blood pressure back down to a safe level, I think we'll move on to our regular short slots now. And I know you've got something interesting to share with us, haven't you? Yes, I have. In in England at the moment, they've had a commission on religious education and they are recommending, amongst lots of other things, that the the name of the subject be religion and worldviews. And that was something we contemplated in Wales, but we, we decided to go down the religion, values and ethics route. But I do think that the worldviews approach to teaching, the how to teach R-V-E-R-E, whatever you want to call it, is really helpful because you are you are talking about religious and non-religious worldviews and the fact that everybody has a worldview. And that's important because each learner in that in your classroom, whether they are three years old or 16 year old, have a worldview that, you know, will evolve and change and whatever through their lives. And Theos Think Tank have come up with a little animation which I think every RRV teacher and any anybody anyway ought to, to look at because they formulated this with some of the big questions that are really important in RVE and, and looking at religion and worldviews. And I think that that's one of the interesting things that I've seen is how, you know, their discussions on what their subject should be named in England has come out with this, this brilliant... Um, animation raising these issues and big questions are one of the most important things in 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 RVE in Welsh when you translate some um, ultimate questions the the translation and I'm not a Welsh speaker unfortunately but it, it, it's translated as the biggest questions of all and I absolutely love that um, and I think this this little animation actually asks some of the biggest questions of all so I wanted to share that with you Some people may feel that life is about success and improvement, being the best you can be. And some think it's about helping the most vulnerable in society. Others may believe belonging to a group is vital for finding meaning, while another treasures belonging to the earth in all its beauty. And still, most of us will not see the world through only one lens, but rather through a blend of multiple visions. In an increasingly pluralistic society, understanding the world around us means realising that there is no neutral perspective. Nobody stands nowhere. Do you know where you stand? And why? Thank you for sharing that that very interesting source there. And we'll make sure we put the details for that uh, in the description of this episode so you can access it in full after the episode. OK, you've got something to try that's interesting. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm, I've got something for you to try. I've been racking my brains. I had a sleepless night thinking over what, what is the, something simple that I can uh, give you to, to use in the classroom. Um, and this is something I used to use, actually, probably as a teacher of um, PSE, particularly when I had to teach relationships and sexuality, uh, relationships and sexuality education or, or 
sex education as it was then. And I would use an ask-it basket. So I would have an, an empty box and lots of little pieces of paper and I would give everybody um, pieces of paper to write their questions down on and then I put, put them in the box and then pull them out either that lesson or after I'd vetted them for the following lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it always went down really, really well. And I think, you know, if you were looking at big questions or you've got those shy learners in the classroom, is it just a way of getting their question asked in an, in an anonymous way and also sparks debate and, and that type of thing? So whether you've got a new topic fifth century Chinese art, for example, you know, what is it, whatever, what questions have you got about this? They can use the ask it basket for that. It's also good to leave in the classroom so that they can put questions in, you know, and you can you can sort of uh, check it at the end of the lesson because um, it might be something completely unrelated <laughs> to, to things that they've been doing. So it's, it's nice to have a basket there or a box, like a, a post box or whatever that they can that they can ask questions with. And I always found that really, really helpful in me finding out what did, what did they want to know um, that they didn't really want to put their hand up and ask. The Ask It Basket, very uh, applicable to all subjects. And as a sometime mm. teacher of PSE myself, I'd say the vetting process, had I done it, might have saved me some memorable <laughs> lesson experiences. Definitely. <laughs> Paula Weber, it's been our pleasure having you on our Humble Podcast today. Thank you for your time and insight. Um, and I'm sure we'll be welcoming you back, as we do with most of our lovely guests on the podcast. But for the time being, uh, stay safe, everyone. And we'll be back with you in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Paula Weber, who's the programme leader for PGCE Secondary Religious Education here at Cardiff Met. And thanks to Paula for taking part. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at Talk Teaching Pod. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.